So last week we were in Philadelphia, and uh, what I like about the Church of Philadelphia, uh, which is verse 7, chapter 3, and following, is that the relevance of Philadelphia to us in our world today is, is to me, phenomenal. Because what you have happening, uh, if you go over to verse number 8, you have this church that God has placed into a city where a lot of people are coming to the city. Okay? One of the things Philadelphia is known for is kind of the gateway to the east in Asia Minor. And so it was known for festivals that it would host. Right? We made the comparison last week to Grand Island. We said Grand Island is a place where a lot of people come. right? Because we have this thing called the State Fair. Well, the festivals weren't state fair festivals. By the way, I'm going to see this year if our Nebraska State Fair, you know, how do we do in comparison to the, to the Texas State Fair? <laughs> the Texas dudes, they had this great big guy, you know, this giant guy, and he stands out in front of the Texas State Fair. Have any of you ever been to this thing? And he welcomes you. He goes, welcome to the Texas State Fair. Well, last year he took up smoking and it burned down. So they burned down the dude. So they had to rebuild a new guy. And uh, when you go to the Texas State Fair, they hand you two maps. Map number one is kind of here's all the exhibits. True. Map number two is the fried food map. I'm like, I don't even need map one. Just give me the fried food map. And I, I mean, it is ridiculous. Have you guys ever eaten fried butter? Oh, my goodness gracious. Um, how about this one? Chicken... Chicken fried bacon. Oh, is that good? Do not tell my cardiologist I ate that, but it is so, so good. Anyway, Philadelphia, they keep, they, the people are coming in, but these are for pagan festivals. And so the church is situated in an area where if, if Jesus is giving direction to it, he says, look, I, I have given you, verse number eight says, I've given you an open door. Here's what that means. Is we, we as a body of Christ know that our calling is to do it, is to take the gospel, not just keep it in here, but take it out there. What God says is, is I've, got, I've got the key of David, and I'm going to open up doors for you, and when I open up a door, go through it. Trust me. I'm going to work. All right. There's a problem. In this particular church, notice what he says about them. He says, but you have a micron dunamis. You have a little power. Okay, so I always think about this. Our word, our word dynamite, right? Explosiveness. Comes from the Greek word dynamis, which means power. When Paul describes the gospel of Jesus Christ, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, the good news, the euangelion of Jesus Christ, of Jesus Christ, because it is the dynamis, it's the dynamite that leads to salvation. Now what he's saying is, we, we carry with us a word of God that has the power to transform lives, not because we're good salesmen, you don't sell Jesus, not because we're good manipulators, you don't manipulate Jesus into someone's life, not because we've got really good tracks, I, I don't like that, here's a track, here's a track, track Jesus, no. But because we trust that the gospel of Jesus Christ has the spirit of God that is able to transform lives, we trust that, we believe that. Okay? This church, Philadelphia, is holding back. You have a little dunamis. I gave you a pile of dynamite, and you're treating it like what? You're like, well, why? What's going on there? But you get a clue in the very next verses. All right? 
where he says, Behold, verse number 9, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not but lie, I will make them come bow down before you. What's going on is, in Philadelphia, you have a number of Jewish synagogues. Now think about this with me. All through the epistles, when Paul is moving from town to town to town to town, right? there are two things happening. Wherever Paul goes, two groups of people show up. First group of people are the Eldafoi, the brothers, Christians, who say, Paul, welcome here. We, we've kind of scoped things out for you. We know a place where you can come and teach. We're going to take care of your needs. That's the first group of people. The second group of people that show up are the Jews. They track him for the purpose of trying to do what? Shut him down. And the way they try to do that is through the Roman government. Right? So the Jews would say, listen, this guy here, Paul, he's a bad dude. He's coming into town. He's going to cause all kinds of problems. You need to put him in jail. He's causing disruptions. All right. So what's happening is in Philadelphia, the church is going out and is actually getting into these festivals with the gospel. But it's starting to shrink back. Why? Because the Jews are causing trouble for them. Here's what Jesus is saying to them. Don't shrink back. You've got the dynamite. Trust me, believe me, when I open a door, no one can close it. When I close a door, no one can open it. Go out under my power. All right? So he's really, he's really telling the church, don't hold back. Be bold. Be bold. One of the things that, that just excites me, it really does excite me, as, as I start to learn more and more about Grand Island, okay? And, uh, I mean, we had some sheets up here where we're just writing down things. Here's things about our city. And, and I look at some of the needs that people have. There are big needs, right, in Grand Island, right? I mean, we've got, we've got all these young girls that are, are, are teenagers that are, I mean, I think our, our pregnancy rate is like double what it is in most counties, right? I'm like, okay, that's happening here. We're all, a lot of drugs run through here, right? I go out to the trailer park. The guy tells me, you know, we got people here that are stuck on meth, okay? Now, some people would look at that and be like, oh my gosh, do. I look at all that, I'm like, we got the dynamite. We have the dynamite. No one can change those lives. Let me tell you this. No one can change those lives more, more than the people with the dynamite. Right? If I want to make a difference in someone's lives, how is it going to happen? Through a changed heart. Right? And so God says, church, don't shrink back. Go I'm opening a door for you and take your dynamite out and let it go to work in people's lives. And that just excites me here. All right. So um, what, what Jesus ends up saying, and I want to pick up with this because we went to it, through it too fast last time. He says, because, because you, he says, church, I want you to get bold now, but because you've been holding on faithfully, all right, go to verse 10, because you've kept my word faithfully, here's what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to keep you from that hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell upon the earth. The very next words, I'm coming soon. I'm coming soon. Um, those words, hour of trial, one hour of trial, I'm keeping you from that hour of trial, um, take us back into the Gospels. And they establish a pattern that you're going to see throughout the whole of Revelation so I want you to kind of get it in your mind now. When you hear the tribulation spoken to, okay, people are always asking, well, when is the tribulation coming? 
So he's talking here about this one hour of tribulation. Here, here's the answer. You're in it now. We're in the tribulation. Now the way the, Reve the Revelation talks about it, it will use different phrases to describe how the tribulation will play out. Typically, the most often used phrase sounds something like this. There's a time, that's the Old Testament, and a time, that's the New Testament period. That's the time we're in now. And a half a time. That is the last part of the tribulation. Half a time. When Jesus refers to that hour of tribulation here, he's referring to that half a time. That smaller part of the tribulation where things become more and more intense until men on earth would rather die than stay on earth and then comes the, then comes the resurrection. All right? So when you hear the word tribulation, what I tell people all the time is we're in it. I do not believe in any way, shape, or form that we're in the half a time, the hour of tribulation. We're not in it. Okay? Here's how I know that. The way that that half a time or that hour of tribulation are, are described, described in such a way as to present a picture of the earth in absolute upheaval. Men who have just lost all types of order. Okay? Now, just for a second. Um, I know there's a lot of people out there that speculate on this. Here's how I know. USA Today. Okay. To, to buy an ad in USA Today costs a lot of money. If, if our church said, hey, we're going to advertise in USA Today, and we bought one ad this big, it would cost us a lot of money. Right. The people that bought this ad, they didn't even put their name on it. But here's what it says. Americans, prepare for war. Just like the great Babylon Empire that was the greatest in the world up to that time became arrogant and proud, so has the United States. The handwriting is on the wall for America. The story is an example to all of us. At the age of 62, Darius the Mede struck an evil scheme. Many nations who came up from the north attacked peaceful and unsuspecting people. Thus, Russia is coming. A large and mighty army is coming. 61-year-old Putin will become 62 on October the 7th. Russian bombers will arrive November the 13th in Cuba. Okay. Well, let's see. Hmm. That means that we've got a few months left until the bombers come in and start bombing from Russia, bombing Cuba. Now, people all the time are writing articles like this, selling books like this, the tribulation is coming like this. Listen, what, what John is telling the church in this time is, we're in it. We're in the tribulation. But there will come this hour that you will not want to be on earth. I, I'm just going to throw this out because I try to imagine this. Um, this scene, and, and this, 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 this is fanciful, so it really is not, it's not necessarily connected to what will happen at all, but 
you know, people will ask me, say, well, what, what, what would that look like a half an hour? I'd say, it would look something like this. Kaboom! Kaboom, kaboom! Three explosions. All nuclear. All in outer space. All knock out completely the world wide web. Kaboom, kaboom, kaboom. How much of your life right now is tied to something in a cloud? Very much of it? Would you be able to figure out what's in your bank account or what's in your stock portfolio or any of that without what's in the cloud? Yeah, it might cause a little problem, right? Okay. Massive chaos. All right, so when you talk about that half hour, you're talking about a period of time where everything that everybody is just, just kind of builds their life around and feels comfortable with is gone that fast. Babylon, Babylon. Mighty Babylon. How quickly mighty Babylon has fallen. That half hour, I believe, will begin very quickly and will become so intense that the Bible says men will say, I would rather die than be on earth during this time. All he's saying to this church in Philadelphia is, guess what? I'm taking you out. Your blessing is you're going to be removed from this world. You'll all die prior to that one hour. That's what he's saying to them. Okay. Um, Matthew and his gospel, let's, let's flip back over there. We looked at this last week too quickly. He describes this uh, in a beautiful way in chapter, excuse me, I said Matthew, Mark, uh, in chapter 13, beginning with verse 14. Let's flip over there for a minute. Kind of some interesting history here. Beginning of verse 14, Mark 13 says, But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in, in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down, nor enter his house to take anything out. Let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. For alas, women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it may not happen in winter, for in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of creation that God created until now and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short those days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, whom he chose, he shortened the days. Verse 21, And then if anyone says to you, Look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. Be on guard. I have told you all things beforehand. That's that final hour. Okay. He says in verse 24, But in those days after that tribulation, watch what happens. The world ends. The sun is darkened. The sun that we depend upon no longer has power. The sun is darkened. The moon will not give its light. The sun has lost its light. The stars are falling from the heavens. The powers in the heavens are shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. He will then send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heaven. This is the resurrection. Okay. 
And so what Mark is describing is this last hour of time will come and will be of such a nature on planet Earth that people will want to die. All right? Have there been periods where people have thought this is it? There have. All right? Some clues in that very first verse here in Mark's Gospel, verse 14. When you see the, when you see the abomination of desolation. Okay? We don't have this book in our Bibles unless you have a Catholic Bible. Book of Maccabees, right? First and Second Maccabees. Kind of an interesting book to read. Luther, by the way, had that in his Bible. When he translated it, he included what we call the Deuteronomical, Deuterocanonical texts, including Maccabees. Maccabees takes us back to what we call Hanukkah, right? So Hanukkah occurs after this guy named Antiochus Epiphanes desolates the temple. And remember what happened is this Greek ruler put a statue of Zeus outside the temple. And then he went into the temple and he slaughtered a hog on the altar. And people said, that's an abomination. The end has come. Well, it wasn't the end. But it was an abomination. Okay? A second time in history, a guy by the name of Titus. If you ever go over into Rome, you'll see the, the Arch of Titus. It's a great Great, great uh, general. Titus is the one who God allowed to come and actually tear down the temple of the Jews in 70 AD and uh, destroy it to the ground. And people say, this is an abomination. This is the end. It's not the end. Okay? Uh, when you go over into Jerusalem and you're, you're walking around, you'll see, that, you'll see signs of, of English colonies that came into Jerusalem back in the 1930s, and they came there for a reason. You know why? To hasten to try to speed up the end of the world. And they said, if we can come into Jerusalem and we can set up shop here, maybe we can help the end of the income more quickly. It's kind of interesting. So really throughout time in history, people have tried to hasten the end. What, what the book of Revelation tells you is, you don't want to be alive during that last hour of time. And so he's giving to the, um, uh, this church in Philadelphia, uh, again, a beautiful word that says, I'm going to lift you off the earth, you're going to die, and you will not have to take part in that uh, tribulation. Let's go back to Revelation where he just simply says, verse 11, I'm coming soon. Most of us read that and we're like, well, it doesn't seem soon. It's been a long time since you've come. He's coming soon. Remember, God goes by his time. I'm coming soon. Hold fast to what you have. Man, I take those words seriously. Hold fast to what you have so that no one may seize your crown. Okay? Um, as we live... Do, Pastor Luke, do you think that the, the last hour will come in our lifetime? I don't know. I don't know. What I see today are signs of things that very possibly could ignite that last time. Very clear to me. Will I be alive? Will my grandkids be alive? I don't know. No, no one has ever known in history. We don't know that day or time. But I do know this. Uh, when Jesus says, I'm coming soon, taku, quickly, okay, what he's saying is, in my time, not until that last person is brought into salvation. Okay, then I will come. Okay. 
So what, what, I would see, what I say to myself today as I look at words like this, hold fast to what you have. This is a time, this is not a time in history for the church to be backing down and trying to blend in with the culture. This is not a time for that. Okay? When, I, when I hear that a group of pastors are signing off on some petition that says we think it's okay for, for, for men to marry men and women to marry men, I'm like, that, that is the opposite of this. Hold fast to what you have. Stand upon the gospel. Trust me. I've got the key. I open and close doors. Trust me and only me. Hold it fast. This is a time like never before where we, we need to work hard to make sure that our families and our kids and our grandkids, this is the truth that we build our lives upon. This is what we build our lives upon. Not what culture teaches, what, the, what, what our God has given us to live on. And so he's saying that. Hold this quickly because I am coming soon. See to it that no one seizes your crown. Verse 12, to the one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple. I love, I love this last section. This last paragraph is descriptive of the, 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 the new age to come. And you've noticed that in each of these letters to these churches, they all end with kind of a description of eternity. And so this one does too. It says, hold fast so no one can seize your crown. The one who conquers, I make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes from my God out of heaven. Okay, so as we get into the latter part of Revelation, we see a picture of the new Jerusalem coming down to new earth, right? And that, that temple, that new Jerusalem, the pillars in it are people. They're followers of Jesus Christ. And so what it is a picture of the, the new church on earth are all the people who have belonged to Jesus Christ, who will dwell upon new earth forever. And he says, finally then, I will give him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Okay. So I think uh, Philadelphia, for me, really represents, um, I think for our church, a beautiful message that says, look at the world that we're living in. Hold fast to what you have. Look at the opportunities in your own city. Trust the gospel. Know that it has the explosive power, the ability to change life. Go out. Go out boldly and do that. All right? All right, last church. Somebody in the room go like this. Well, there's seven of them. It takes a little while. Last church is the church of Laodicea. And again, just to remind you, the way that, the way that Revelation is written, it's written like this. Circles, 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 right? This is the first circle. That's what we're going to conclude here, is the seven churches. And then we'll jump into the very next circle. So, to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, <coughs> this kind of gets interesting. These are the words of the Amen. The faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. Now you could read it that fast and move on and think nothing more of it. Let me challenge you for a minute. How, how many of you have ever he heard this sound at your door? We're the Jehovah's Witnesses. Are there some here in Grand Island? There's a few of them. Okay. So the Jehovah's Witnesses, um, when they come to my door, 
We haven't had one come yet to our door, but I'm sure we will when they come to the door. The first thing, they, they usually are smiling. They're pretty happy when they open the door. Start off with it. <laughs> Would you like for us to read you the Bible? I go, oh, yes, I'd love for you to read me the Bible. I'd love that. Okay, we're going to read you the Bible. Go, which Bible is it? They're like, well, it's our, it's, our, it's our Bible. It's our kingdom Bible. I go, well, I said, I, the reason I ask you is because I get all messed up in my head. There are all these Bibles out there. I said, I, I finally just taken to just reading. I said, do you mind if I get my Bible? I said, could you just read it from my Bible? Would that be okay with you? And then I hand them my Bible, and they open it up, and they're like, what's that? I go, that's, that's the New Testament. It's, it's a Greek, Greek New Testament. It's important. So let me show you why. Open your Bible up to John. And they'll open up John. I said, read that. They read it. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was a God. I went, whoa, 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 whoa. That's not in here. And then they get kind of upset with me. A little bit upset with me. And I'm like, don't you guys want to read? I mean, shouldn't you get a real Bible? I mean, <laughs> like this is this like the original language. What, what is yours again? You know, so anyway, um, when they come to the door, what do they think, who do they think Jesus Christ is? Well, a Jehovah's Witness would say that Jesus is a created being, right? Where did they get that from? Jesus is a created being. This is one of their favorite passages, one of theirs. Okay, Why? Look at it again. The angel of the church in Laodicea write the words of the Amen, which would mean, it's kind of a way of saying the Omega, the end. You know, the Alpha and the Omega? This would be the Omega, this is the end. I'm the end. And now reverse it, I'm also the beginning. Here's how he says it. The faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. In the beginning, in the beginning. <coughs> Takes us all the way back to Genesis. Here's the way a Jehovah's Witness reads that. Jehovah's Witness takes this out and says, okay, Christians, this says that Jesus was the first creation. The first creature. Is that true? Well, um, again, what I like to do is I say, well, let's take a look at it. Here's what it actually says. It says, the beginning of God's creation which is hey, archaic, ketosis, tethiu. All right? So, if I read that in context, does it mean that Jesus is a created being? Not at all. What does it mean? It means that Jesus is the beginner of creation. The beginner of creation. The one who begun creation. Okay? Now, part of that doesn't make sense to us. Because we grow up and we're given the little blue book. I think they turn them a different color now. The catechisms, right? And we're taught that uh, God is the creator, right? And Jesus is the redeemer, and the Holy Spirit is the sanctifier. And here's this, this book over here saying, you're saying that Jesus was the, the beginner of creation. He's the one who started it. He is the first. This word, arche, means the first cause of. The first cause of. Where do you get that? Well, it's, it's right, in the, right in the epistles. Take a look at this with me. Flip your Bible over to Colossians chapter 1, beginning verse 15. And make note of this with me. It's really kind of cool stuff. When Paul is talking about Jesus, here's what he says of him. Beginning of verse 15, he says, He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. 
He's the, the birth, here you would say this, but he's the birther of creation. Notice how clearly he says it in these next words. For by him, by who? By Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That in him all things might be made preeminent. Okay. So, does this change the catechism? No. Keep your catechism. We are, can very clearly say that God the Father is the creator, but in a beautiful way, what Paul does is he takes the spotlight and he says, was Jesus there at creation? Absolutely yes. In fact, in a kind of cool way, in a way in which we would say, who created you? Well, God is my creator, but he created me through Jesus and for Jesus. You will never find purpose in your life. You will never really find that sense of, of well-being and peace until you find it in a relationship with Jesus Christ. You know why? Because that's what you're created for. You're created by him, for him. If he's not in your life, you'll constantly seek to find some sort of purpose, some sort of meaning in your life. You'll never discover it. You'll discover it through him. So when my Jehovah's Witness friends come to the door and they take out this revelation passage, what I like to do is just come back again to the original language and be able to say to them, this is not suggesting that Jesus Christ is the first creature made. It is saying he is the arche, he is the cause of creation, which is very plainly spelled out in Colossians, that by him and through him all things have been made. And this is what he's really trying to say to the church. He's saying to, to uh, Laodicea, if you go back over there, I'm the last, the amen, but I'm also the first. I am the one through whom creation came into being. It's kind of a beautiful picture of Jesus. Now, Laodicea, just a couple of notes about it so, you, so you're aware of it. Laodicea became the wealthiest church in Phrygia, Asia Minor. It's a very wealthy church. Okay. It's known predominantly for two things. It's black sheep, so black wool predominantly came out of Laodicea, but mostly it's known for being a pharmaceutical city, especially known for its ointments that would be used for eyes and ears. Okay? So um, I was sitting back in my office a few weeks ago thinking about this, and I'm like, how would you describe a pharmaceutical city to a group of people? I'm like, I know, Colorado. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, it's a different kind of pharmaceutical, all right? These were legal pharmaceuticals that they sold, actually. But they did become wealthy. Um, this is the first church in all seven churches. The very, so it's the last one mentioned. It's the first church that receives no commendation from Jesus. Every, every other church, God looks at it and says, I have this for you, and I have this against you. This is the first church that Jesus looks at. He says, I have no commendation for you at all. None. Why? What's happening in the church? This is significant. Note, notice what he says about this church. I know your works. Remember, throughout this whole thing, please don't lose sight of this. Jesus Christ is 
paying attention to our works. We are not saved by them. But is he, is he serious about this body of people, us coming together, working to bring others to him? Absolutely. He watches it. So he says, I know your works. Here's what they are. They're neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and you're neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. I think probably the number, if somebody asked me, what's the number one challenge, problem in the church today, Church of Jesus Christ in America, I would say here it is right here. Apathy. A lack of urgency. I mean, I walk into most churches and you would think we're having a picnic. I'd be like, do we not know that the house is on fire? Do we not realize that we're living in a time where the largest generation to populate the United States is, has been born and also are the most lost generation in the history of the United States? So are we aware of that? Because it doesn't seem like it. It seems like we're kind of sitting back going, well, here we're kind of on that cruise ship, Right? Things are going good. We've got these things going. We've got the bulletin printed. We've got the... No, 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 no. Fire is happening. There are a lot of people uh, who right now today, on this Sunday morning, they're not waking up saying, let's go get the Word of God in us. They're waking up going, it's another day. Tomorrow I've got to go to work. What can I do with today? Right? And so what, what God is saying is, church... Church of Laodicea, I'm watching what you're doing, and you're filled with apathy. There's nothing in you. There's no fire in you. What are you doing, for goodness sakes? I like to say to churches this. If you're doing stuff that really doesn't have much to do with people's eternity, guess what? Stop doing it. And start doing something that has to do with people's eternity, right? Because the only thing that will matter in the end is not how many programs you put on, but how many people come to know Jesus Christ through the work that you're doing. That is what the Spirit is looking for. And so he's saying in very harsh words, I'm watching what's going on. I don't see hot and I don't see cold. Okay? One of the things that I've learned in my life is I actually don't mind cold at all. You know what cold is? Cold shoulder? You ever get the cold shoulder? I get it all the time. Seriously. Not just for man. You know. <laughs> Preacher man goes out. This is, this is kind of the response of a lot of people to me is kind of like, eh. That's apathy. That bothers me. Cold is, I disagree with you. I'm an atheist. I don't like God. I actually like that. I'm like, good. There's something in you, right? That means the Spirit is doing something in you. You haven't just become dead inside of yourself, some apathetic person that really doesn't care about what's coming, whether there is a beginning or whether there isn't. You don't really care. If you're cold, I'll take that any day. I love it. Because you know what? The Spirit has a chance. The Spirit has a chance in that person. Okay. I'll, uh, I'll close with this, this scene. Um, 
scared the fool out of me because it, it just made me think about what, the world that we're living in. But um, not all that long ago, I was watching this show called Nightline. And they, uh, they decided to feature this website that a guy put together to invite people to denounce Jesus and to denounce their baptisms. And so the whole purpose of this website is you go on to it and you film yourself saying, you know what, I, I think Jesus Christ is a fraud or he's a fake or, you know what, I hate Jesus Christ or, you know, I was baptized, I denounced my baptism. That meant nothing in my life. That's what these people are doing over and over and over on this website. You can just click their stories and they do that. Now, when I first watched that, everything inside of me just sunk. I'm thinking, oh my gosh. Oh my goodness gracious. What, how in the world? Why would you stand up against a God who made you for himself? I, I don't... Now I look back at that scene in my mind. Here's what I think. I don't know those stories. I don't know what's going on in that moment when that person stands up and says, I hate Jesus. But they're cold. And to be honest with you, I'd, I'll take cold over somebody who says this. Eh. Whatever. Whatever you think, you think whatever I think, I think. I don't even want to look at the words of Jesus. Um, and what he's saying is, church, when I look at you, this is what I see. Your works are just eh. You're apathetic. And because you're apathetic, I think these are some of the strongest words in the Bible. I will spit you out of my mouth. Spit you out. That is not meant to say to the pastor of this church, I'm done with you. It's not meant to say that. What it's meant to say is, I'm going to wake you up. There's going to be some shaking going on inside of your body. Because I will not have apathetic. That's what Jesus Christ is saying to this church. Okay. Um, let's close there. We'll pick up with verse 17 next week. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ.